wild places left on Earth, none are as majestic as the Arctic. Today, this unforgiving landscape has grown nearly impossible to inhabit. But for the families that live here, it's home. Come with us to the Arctic. Some of the sounds of the movie To the Arctic, narrated by Meryl Streep. I took the day off yesterday, well, at least part of the day off, to go and spend some time with my kids. They were so excited that, that now that Daddy's unemployed, he, he gets to go on a field trip with them. So I went on a field trip with the twins yesterday and saw this movie at the IMAX at the Museum of History across the river from Ottawa in Gatineau, Quebec. Fantastic scenes. A little worried about some of the content, but that's another story. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian Lilly. You know, uh, I think I'm going to spend a lot of time uh, talking about this movie to the Arctic in coming days, either uh, here on the podcast or on uh, the Rebel Media, which is another story that I have to tell you more about on the podcast. If you are not familiar with it yet, you likely are, but if you're not, you need to know more about it. Anyway, I'll be spending more time talking about this movie because it it's shown to our children. This is a museum that whether they're kids in Ottawa, in the Ottawa area, or some of the thousands upon thousands that come from out of town to visit the nation's capital each year as a field trip, they go to this museum and they see this movie. And they learn about polar bears and walruses and caribou. And they see some of the most magnificent scenes. I've... You know, on the cruise to the Arctic, the Freedom Cruise last year, uh, with myself and Ezra Levant and John Robson and some of the other Sun News people, we got a chance to to see some of these beautiful vistas of the Arctic, and while well, on the southern edge of Alaska, and in in IMAX, where you're in the dome and the screen is so large, it is just breathtaking. But then. Then you keep being told that the ice is disappearing and the polar bears are dying and the kids are filled with information that just simply isn't true. So that's how I spent a good chunk of my day yesterday, my quote-unquote day off. Now, why do I say that? Because I'm I'm kind of unemployed, except I'm not. Uh, So Sun News Network shut down just about two weeks ago now, and I've never been busier. We've got the podcast going here. There's uh, some writing that I'm doing for Ben Shapiro's Truth Revolt. And then there are uh, projects like The Rebel. If you haven't been to therebel.media, you need to go there. And yesterday was a partial day off because yesterday was the day that we launched a crowdfunding campaign. And what an amazing response it was. Truly humbling truly staggering to see the level of support that so many of you were were willing to offer up to say, yes, we need an alternative media voice in Canada. We asked for specific things like, can you fund a camera? Can you fund microphones? Can you fund uh, lighting kits and, and uh, even Red Bulls for Ezra, care packages for the staff, business cards? And a lot of you jumped in. Surprisingly, um, the one that wasn't, and at this point still is not fully funded, is making sure that uh, we have all the cash to go and cover the liberals uh, in the fall election. I figured every conservative in the country would want to make sure that we were there for that. Maybe they'll pick up on that later. 
and uh, stop funding us to go cover the conservatives and decide that someone needs to trail Justin Trudeau. Anyway, the rebel.media is the new project that I'm working on with Ezra Levant, Michael Corns joined on, Marissa Semkew, and we're trying to we're trying to rise up out of the ashes of Sun News. We're trying to find a way to say what can we keep doing? And so the videos uh, they've been produced in my living room in Ezra's living room um, in you know, outdoors in our neighborhoods. They've been uh, produced in in odd settings. I've shot some stuff on Parliament Hill. And we're doing it with what we have. I'm using a, a Canon DSLR camera and a lav microphone. That's a lapel mic. It works. It, it, it does the job. Is it professional level? It's getting close. And I'm a one-man band here in Ottawa. I, I don't know what kind of cameras they're using in Toronto, but it's, it's not usual TV-level equipment. And all truth be told, we're not looking to buy... Uh, TV-level cameras that, at this point, you don't need anymore. The technology is getting so inexpensive. The quality is improving so much that you don't need to have that level of equipment and still produce high-quality material. So we launched The Rebel, and we're continuing to do what we do, or what we did at Sun News Network, and that is, A, either tell the stories the other guys won't, or B, Tell them in a way that is not the same old, same old media party line that everything's okay, nothing to see here, Harper's bad. So that's what we're trying to do. And the the response has been phenomenal. So I invite you to, if you haven't yet, go to therebel.media, not rebel.media. I think that's, to me, it looks Polish. It's some kind of Eastern European Slavic language up there. So not rebel.media therebel.media and sign up. You can sign up just to, to get our email updates. You can sign up to, uh, to become uh, a volunteer. You can sign up and say, you know what? I like what you're doing. I, I want to, uh, eventually we'll be selling subscriptions, but right now you can just say, here's 20 bucks. Here's 50 bucks. Here's a hundred bucks. Let me put my money where my mouth is and find a way to support this because corporate Canada did not support it. And big-time conservative donors did not support Sun News. And the establishment in Canada did not support Sun News. And the regulators certainly didn't. So if you liked what we were doing, we figured out we needed to find another way to do it. And we needed to find a way to do it that made us more nimble, that allowed us greater freedom. And that's online, folks, which is why this is the direction all the media is moving, online. It's where most of us are consuming our news. There's still some people that always get their their uh, their media fix through a daily dead tree newspaper. I know fewer and fewer of those. I can't even find them in coffee shops anymore. There are fewer and fewer people that are uh, watching the 6 o'clock news every night. There are fewer people that only listen to the radio. But more people are moving online. And we're going to try to find a way to continue to bring you the professional quality coverage that you were expecting at Sun News and and move it into an online platform. So if you're able to, if you're able to support us with with a donation at this point, the rebel.media, click on the crowdfunding banner at the top and pick something that you like. Maybe it's uh, maybe it is finding someone to go tail Justin Trudeau. Maybe it is. 
funding the salaries of some of the back-end staff that you don't see uh, on the website, but who are vital to what we do. Maybe you want to chip in a few bucks to, to pay their salaries, whatever the case may be. And if you can't chip in a few bucks, then maybe you want to just sign up and say, let me get regular updates and then I'll make sure that I share your material on social media. That is such an incredible way to help us because that's today's advertising world is social media and you turning around and and saying let's find a way to to help let's find a way to uh, uh to spread the word it doesn't have to be a billion dollar ad campaign we are we are asking people to chip in for an ad campaign over at the rebel as well but it's not just about money so much of it is like the old shampoo commercial she told two friends and she told two friends and so on and so on and so on word of mouth word of the keyboard vitally important today i didn't plan on spending this whole segment talking about the rebel and what i'm up to uh or talking about uh, going to the museum with my kids which was a blast but um well i'm excited i'm excited about that i'm excited about what's happening and and do let me tell you if you if you're over at Truth Revolt, look for my name there as well. Uh, working with Ben Shapiro on on that project, helping him with some news writing and uh, and also the podcast. So um, thanks so much for consuming what we do and thanks so much for sharing what we do. I'm going to take a quick break and come back with more, including Tom Mulcair and Justin Trudeau deciding that, well, Sharia is just fine with them. More to come. Federal courts already ruled on that. It's a question of, of rights and freedoms. The government's appealing it, but as far as we're concerned, the federal court got it right. NDP leader Tom Mulcair saying he is not only fine with people wearing the cabs in the citizenship ceremonies, he disagrees with the federal government and their decision to appeal it. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Brian Lilly. The, this ruling goes back to uh, a mandate put in by then-immigration minister Jason Kenney back in December of 2011 that said, when you are taking the oath of citizenship in this country, you need to be able to show your face. The citizenship judge watching you swear in the oath needs to be able to see your face. There was no big kerfuffle that I recall at the time when Kenny brought in the rule, but then a woman from Pakistan who only came to Canada in 2008 wanted to become a citizen. She said that she could not show her face in public and take the citizenship oath, that this was a violation of her, her Muslim faith. I take issue with that. I take issue with that on many levels. And so she appealed and she won. She won at the federal court level. So now, in an attempt to play politics, the liberals and the NDP have both come out and said that this is an issue of religious freedom. They're selective, as I've said before, they're selective in their defense of religious freedom, which always makes me happy to watch people be selective on their their defense of civil liberties. But this is not the government saying you cannot wear in a cab, you cannot wear cover your face because of your faith. This is them saying 
that when you swear an oath, we need to be able to see, A, that it is you, and B, that you are actually swearing the oath. Otherwise, why do it at all? Uh, you and I have to show our faces to be able to vote in person. Muslim women do not. Um, and again, that's put down as, well, it's their religious freedom. No, it's not. It is not because this is, as some will argue, not a requirement of Islam. But two, even if you accept that it is the firmly held belief of some that it is a requirement, Muslim women are not allowed to wear their faces covered, to wear a niqab, to wear a burqa, or a hijab covering their face. And yes, a hijab can cover your face if you pull it up, despite what the, the chattering classes are snickering at Chris Alexander for. I'm going to take the word of the former ambassador to Afghanistan over the word of some reporters that barely leave Ottawa. But Muslim women are not allowed to cover their face at certain points. And that includes when they go to the Hajj, when they visit Mecca, the holiest site in Islam, they're not allowed to cover their face. So why we would have a different rule for one of the most solemn occasions in the life of a new Canadian citizen is beyond me. But this is the multiculturalism that Mulcair and Trudeau and even a lot of progressive conservatives would adhere to. I, I get the civil libertarian argument, but this is not a case of freedom of religion. And as I pointed out last week in the podcast, if this were, well then, the courts should be seeing it as a reasonable infringement thereof, just like they did with the Hutterite Brethren community of Wilson Colony, Alberta. People that said that they could not have their pictures taken for their driver's license. That went against their religion. And the court said, in the interest of fraud, we need to be able to know whose face matches what driver's license. Isn't it the same thing with the citizenship ceremony? <sighs> Logic, people. Where is the logic. New piece out today from National Journal. I wrote up on it for truthrevolt.org, and that is on the issue of net neutrality. Uh, this has me worried. This has me worried a great deal because the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, the big regulator in the United States, their version of the CRTC is coming out with new rules today saying that, um, well, internet service is telecommunications service. Interesting comments from John Thune. He is the chairman of the Senate Standing Committee on Commerce. He's a Republican from South Dakota, and he's pointing out that this could actually allow Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, other, other countries that are far from free and open to have a greater say on how the Internet is run and what we get to see, see even here in the free world. How? Because many of these countries want the United Nations to have a say in running the Internet. That's right. They want the International Telecommunications uh, Union, the ITU, a division of the UN, to run the Internet. Now, when you consider that the majority of the countries in the world are not free and that they hold votes and sway at the UN and at UN bodies, does it make sense... Does it make sense to hand over control of something as free and wild as the Internet to an organization where thugs, dictators, and rogues have greater say than free liberal democracies? I'd say no. 
But then again, I wonder why we're part of the United Nations. It's not just some Republican from South Dakota, as critics would say, uh, that are concerned about this. There's also the issue of uh, a guy named David Gross. He's a lawyer in D.C. He's also former ambassador to the ITU in the George W. Bush administration. For years, people have been trying to say that the the Internet is a telecommunications service and therefore subject to ITU control. The American position up until now, under Democrat and Republican, has been no, no it is not. But if in order for Obama to get his wish on net neutrality, the FCC uh, reclassifies Internet service as a telecommunications service, then guess what? That makes it easier for the ITU to come in and and essentially start putting in globalist perspectives, globalist control, bringing the Internet under the control of countries like Russia and China. We don't know what effect this is going to have, and I'm not going to sit here and speculate. But if the biggest defender of the Internet not being a telecom service is suddenly saying it is for their own domestic use, they won't be able to turn around and make that argument at the international level. That has to be of concern to people. I know that there are those of you who will say, but we need net neutrality. We need to protect the Internet from corporations. I'd say the Internet's been growing pretty damn well so far and that competition is a better better solution than turning the internet into a 1930s era telephone company system because the laws that obama wants to do this under that's where they stem from the 1930s and the attempt to regulate the telephone companies we all know how well the telecom uh, uh, telephone companies did before deregulation in the united states and canada we all know how expensive things were we all know how little how little innovation there was it was only with deregulation that Telephone service became cheaper, long distance became cheaper, and suddenly we no longer have landlines, we've got cell phones. Cell phones became much more affordable after deregulation as well. So I'm going to be watching what happens at the FCC today and how that plays out over coming weeks because what happens in Washington will not stay in Washington, unfortunately, with this one. This is going to have a major impact on how the net is run around the world. Stick around, folks. Not done yet. Do remember, drop by brianlilly.com, also facebook.com slash brianlilly, and click the big thumbs up like symbol there. And uh, drop by the Rebel Media as well if, uh, if you want to find out what's going on. But we'll try and post all of these uh, items on various platforms so you can find them where you are. More to come. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Brian Lilly, and again, what a magnificent couple of days it's been for myself, for my colleagues at the Rebel Media. You know, when we were shut down at Sun News, we were shut down because we weren't getting the support we needed. Not from you, not from the audience. We did not get the support that we needed from from corporate Canada in terms of someone willing to step up and say, yeah, I'll buy that station, I can turn it around. We didn't get the support we needed from the regulators in saying, you know what, Sun News should be treated the same way CBC was when they started, or CTV, 
they should get a level playing field with the existing guys. We didn't get a, a fair shake from the cable companies, the satellite companies, no. But we got a fair shake from you, and on Wednesday, when we launched the crowdfunding campaign, and you opened your wallets and said, yes, we're going to help you buy the equipment you need to keep telling the stories we want to hear, well, that was, that was truly an inspirational moment, a humbling moment. And crowdfunding, in my view, is far better than going the government grant route. Well, I want to bring you a story again of another crowdfunding campaign, one that I've been talking about for a little while, and it's only got a bit more than two weeks left to go. This is John Robson and Brigitte Pellerin putting together a documentary on the granddaddy of all documents of liberty, all charters of liberty, the Magna Carta. And I've interviewed John on Sun News, I've interviewed him on 580 CFRA here in Ottawa, uh, wrote about it for American websites, and they're looking for $75,000 to help produce a high-quality documentary on the origins of liberty in the English-speaking world. Here is the audio of my conversation with John Robson for Rebel Media. One of the things we love talking about on Byline on Sun News was history, and I know we talked about this, but you are more than halfway through your crowdfunding project on the Magna Carta documentary. Give us an update. Okay, yeah, we're at 51% now. We're just over $38,000. We've got three weeks to go. And we need people to step up and make this project happen. You know, as well as I do, at Sun News Network, the old system failed us. The centrally regulated, government-supported media that centralizes everything and makes you pass through an official gate, it didn't work. So we're trying something different, really different. We are going to the people to fund the story of the people's freedom. And once the documentary is made, anybody who sponsors us for $25 or more, pays the cost of postage, gets the DVD. People say, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to sell it once it's made? We're selling it before it's made, and we're distributing it the same way we funded it, through the people. You get it, you show it, you share it. That's how the story gets out. Canadians telling one another the real story of Canada, of a nation born in freedom, in their living rooms, in church basements. Okay. So why, why this instead of um, CBC? Like, aren't, Am I not going to see this on, on the Canadian broadcast? corporation? Is the state broadcaster not going to tell me this great story? Incredibly enough, they're not. They have this version, not just of you know, a multicultural Canada, of a peacekeeping Canada, but far more insidious, of a Canada whose citizens cannot do things for themselves and need things done for them. And that when we were trying to make this documentary and talking to people, they, a lot of them said, find a broadcaster, find a friend in the establishment, and you can get big government subsidies, $100,000 of other people's money. But we said we don't want to do it that way. That's not who Canadians are. We want just to reach out to people and they will do this themselves. Because that's the society that Magna Carta built. By guaranteeing due process, property rights, security of the person, they made space for citizens to flourish, to act, and to dream. And we are asking people to act in a manner worthy of Magna Carta in order to keep the story going. Okay, so why is Magna Carta important then? It's an 800-year-old dusty document that nobody reads that, as far as I can tell, our Supreme Court justices are even unfamiliar with. Well, there's one good reason right there. <laughs> yeah, Magna Carta is so old it's written on sheepskin in abbreviated Latin. It's sealed in wax. You know, John King John didn't even sign it. But in it... It doesn't just have these rights, the right to a fair trial, the right to justice that is speedy and affordable and that you can get to court, uh, that the 
King can and his agents can't take your stuff without paying you right away. But the barons, supported by the populace, when they made John agree, they made him agree that these had always been the rights of Englishmen. This wasn't some fanciful philosophical construction. This was, this is how it's always been. You're a no-good wretch, you're trying to take it away from us, and you won't. And for, through the centuries, time and again, kings have tried to undermine the people's liberties or break them by a frontal attack. And Charles I invaded Parliament with a drawn sword, dragged the Speaker out of his chair and said, where are my enemies? And the Speaker replied, as it please your Majesty, I have neither eyes to see nor tongue to speak in this place except as the house directs me. So he, at risk of his life, defied the king. And this has happened again and again. And that's why these freedoms still exist, because people have always said, no, it is our birthright and you're not taking it away. And today, when it's slipping away for other reasons, in some ways more well-intentioned, but due process is disappearing, regulation is overwhelming us, governments that can act without the consent of the people, omnibus bills you can't make sense of, human rights commissions that don't follow due process, interference with your right to use and enjoy your property. All this stuff is getting away from us, and we need to do what people did in the 17th century, in the 19th century, in the 15th century, in the 14th century, back to Magna Carta and beyond, and say, no, we are a free people. These rights belong to us. We have inherited them, and we will pass them on to our posterity. You, the story does not end here. Okay, let's relate this to a few things that have happened lately. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but High River. High River in the gun grab, and you now have some citizens taking the RCMP, the Alberta government, to court over illegal search and seizure. I think that that is, is, is something that ties back to what you're talking about, that this is people standing up and saying, you violated our rights. These are our rights. You cannot take them away just because there's a flood. Exactly. And what has happened, again, through the centuries, when the Crown found some new way to interfere with people's rights, they went to court and... The judges and lawyers examined and said, okay, what does that old right mean in this new context? And time and again they said, the memorable words of William Pitt, former Prime Minister of Great Britain, just as the American Revolution was brewing, so it's kind of a warning to the king, he said, an Englishman's home is his castle. It may it never so frail, you know, the roof may leak, the rain may enter, the storm may enter, but the king of England may not enter without his permission. And in High River, agents of the state entered without permission because they were convinced they had a higher and nobler purpose. But that's always what the kings have thought. The citizens don't understand their best interest. We will make them do what they ought to do. And they've never been allowed to get away with it. This is a perfect example of that. They must not be allowed to get away with it. And it's citizens standing up and saying, no, not under Henry VIII, not under Charles I, not under George III, and not today. Okay, and let's talk about overregulation quickly, because this is an ongoing problem, is... Mark Milkey even wrote a book about it uh, a couple of years ago, Stealth Confiscation. You've got regulation upon regulation over how we can use our property, what we can, how we can live our lives to the point where the government is insinuating itself all over the place. Yeah, and one of the great cases he cites about a railway right-of-way out in Vancouver where the municipality zoned it so it couldn't be used for anything but a, a walkway. And the railway sued, said, we've lost a whole bunch of pro value in the property because now we can't run a railroad. And the court said, oh, no, 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 you still own it. There's been no diminishment of your ownership just because you can't do anything with it that you might want to. That was an outrageous ruling. But again, it goes back, Magna Carta, it has promises, you know, the barons can't lose their castles, oh, sure, the rich and powerful. But again, that line that the ordinary man may not be deprived of corn or other movables except with immediate payment, that you just, you cannot take away what people have made with their own hands, with their own time and effort and daring. And it's just a matter of applying it. 
in a novel situation. It's a great jurist, Edward Cook, said that the new corn must come out of old fields. That is, that it is in the principles laid down in Magna Carta that we must develop new specific legal instruments to safeguard the old rights, because that's what made Canada great. That is why we're free. That is why we're prosperous. It's even why we're powerful, that liberty is power. And if we go decide those rights are outdated because they were written down on sheepskin when there wasn't the internet, then we will cease to have this incredible vitality, this dynamism that makes Canada a wonderful place. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think Canadians will step up, including to fund this documentary, make it happen, and then share the results, even if the CRTC does not wish that such a thing should be. All right. Well, you've heard from the man, and you know what to do now. Go to Kickstarter. Drop a, a few dollars, even twenty dollars, into that. If, if five dollars, five dollars. But if everyone watching that watches this were to give you twenty dollars, this thing would be funded. Right we would now. make it. All right. So small donations matter, people. Uh, you've got the address at the bottom of the screen, or just go to Kickstarter and, and search John Robson or Magna Carta, and it's going to come up. And make sure that you do it, and do it soon, because time is of the essence. All right, we'll make sure that we have links to all of that posted on social media sites, including Twitter, Facebook, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Uh, it's up on the website as well, brianlilly.com. And if you can contribute, thank you so much. If you've already contributed, thank you. And thanks to all supporting us for the crowdfunding campaign for Rebel. This is the way of the future. The, um, the Internet is the way of the future. Finding supporters who are willing to say, yep, we get what you're doing, that is far better than trying to convince the bureaucrats in a nondescript building in downtown Gatineau, Quebec, that you need to be treated the same way as everybody else. It's a level playing field, at least for now, until Obama and his FCC destroy the internet. But that is a story for another day. My name's Brian Lilly. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, I'm on your side.